The House is not in session this week. The Senate will return Monday and stay in session through Thursday. Last week in the House, the House came back into session on Tuesday and took up and passed the rule governing consideration of H.R. 1620, the Violence Against Women Reauthorization Act, H.R. 6, the American Dream and Promise Act, H.R. 1603, the Farm Workforce Modernization Act, H.R. 1868, to prevent across-the-board spending cuts, and H.J. Res. 17, removing the deadline for the ratification of the Equal Rights Amendment. Then the House passed two bills under suspension of the rules. On Wednesday, the House took up and passed H.J. Res. 17, removing the deadline for the ratification of the Equal Rights Amendment. This is a laughably absurd resolution, which tries to go back into a constitutional amendment that died during the presidency of Jimmy Carter to resurrect it more than 40 years later. It consists of only one sentence, quote, resolved by the Senate and House of Representatives of the United States of America in Congress assembled that notwithstanding any time limit contained in House Joint Resolution 208, 92nd Congress, as agreed to in the Senate on March 22, 1972, the article of amendment proposed to the states in that joint resolution shall be valid to all intents and purposes as part of the United States Constitution whenever ratified by the legislatures of three-fourths of the several states, end quote. It passed 222 to 204. Interestingly, the 222 votes for the ERA is 10 votes lower than the same bill got last year, and it is the lowest recorded House vote tally for the ERA in its 50-year history. Then the House took up H.R. 1620, the Violence Against Women Reauthorization Act. After considering three amendments, the House voted to pass the bill by a vote of 244 to 172. Then the House passed three bills under suspension. On Thursday, the House took up and passed the two immigration bills, H.R. 6, the American Dream and Promise Act, which would create a pathway to citizenship for so-called dreamers, passed by a vote of 229 to 197. H.R. 1603, the Farm Workforce Modernization Act, passed by a vote of 247 to 174. Later that evening, the House considered H.R. 243, a motion offered by Minority Leader Kevin McCarthy to remove California Democrat Eric Swalwell from his position on the House Permanent Select Committee on Intelligence. The Democrats countered with a motion to table. The motion to table the McCarthy resolution carried by a vote of 218 to 200. On Friday, the House took up and passed H.R. 1868 to prevent across-the-board spending cuts. And then the House suspended the rules to pass a resolution condemning the military coup last month in Burma. And then they were done. This week in the House, it's a committee work week with no floor votes scheduled as of now. Last week in the Senate, the Senate came back to work on Monday and voted that day to confirm Deborah Anna Holland to be Secretary of the Interior. The vote to confirm was 51 to 40. On Tuesday, the Senate voted to invoke cloture on and then to confirm the nomination of Isabella Guzman to be Administrator of the Small Business Administration. Then the Senate voted to invoke cloture on the nomination of Catherine C. Tai to be United States Trade Representative. On Wednesday, the Senate voted by 98 to nothing to confirm her to that position. Then the Senate voted to invoke cloture on the nomination of Javier Becerra to serve as Secretary of Health and Human Services. On Thursday, the Senate voted to confirm Becerra. The vote to confirm was 50 to 49, with Hawaii Democrat Maisie Hirano missing the vote and Maine Republican Susan Collins crossing party lines to provide Becerra the vote he needed to make up for the missing Hirono vote. Then the Senate voted to invoke cloture on the nomination of Martin Walsh to serve as Secretary of Labor. And by voice vote, the Senate confirmed former Deputy Secretary of State William J. Burns to serve as Director of the Central Intelligence Agency. 
and then they were done. This week in the Senate, they'll return tomorrow with the first vote set for 5.30 p.m. At that time, the Senate will proceed to a roll call vote on the confirmation of Martin J. Walsh to serve as Secretary of Labor. Then, based on the Majority Leader's cloture filings, I expect we'll see the following confirmations. Shalanda D. Young to be Deputy Director of the Office of Management and Budget. Vivek Halliger Murthy to be Surgeon General for a term of four years. Rachel Leland Levine to be an Assistant Secretary of Health and Human Services. David Turk to be Deputy Secretary of Energy. And Adewale Adayemo to be Deputy Secretary of the Treasury. Now to earmarks. On Wednesday morning, the House Republican Conference, that is the official organization of all the Republicans in the House, met to decide whether or not they were going to reverse their 10-year-old ban on earmarks. After some discussion, they voted by 102 to 84 in a secret ballot to reverse their own rule and allow their members to seek earmarks under certain conditions. The member must publicly disclose the requests when they are submitted and attest that neither they nor any member of their immediate family have a financial interest in the pet projects. Going just a bit farther than House Democrats had announced, the Republican rules change also requires the Republicans requesting an earmark to explain in writing why the earmark they request is what they call an appropriate use of taxpayer funds. In addition, the new rule says that committee and party leaders, quote, shall not give consideration to a member's seniority, committee assignments, or position in the elected leadership when facilitating a request, unquote. Senate Republicans can still bring this to a screeching halt if all 50 of them decide they want to keep in place a ban on earmarks. As we've noted before, Kimberly Strassel of the Wall Street Journal has reminded us that spending bills have to go through the Senate with a 60-vote threshold, and that means they can only pass with GOP assent in the upper chamber. Senate Republican Leader Mitch McConnell said on Fox News in late February that most of his Republican colleagues in the Senate did not want to bring back earmarks. Quote, I represent the entire conference, and I can tell you the overwhelming majority of the Republican conference in the Senate is not in favor of going back to earmarks. I'm assuming those people, even if Democrats craft the bill so that those are permitted, will not be asking for them, end quote. Stay tuned. Stealing a House seat update. The House Administration Committee has given the two campaigns in Iowa's contested second congressional district race until March 29 to file written responses to a series of questions that will help the committee determine its next steps. In a letter sent to committee chair Democrat Zoe Lofgren on Friday, Republican ranking member Rodney Davis raised objections to Democrat challenger Rita Hart's use of Democrat election Uber lawyer Mark Elias as her counsel, claiming clear conflicts of interest. Elias, it turns out, is so much in demand as the Democrat's election lawyer of choice that he also represents Lofgren. He also represents Democrats Pete Aguilar of California and Mary Gay Scanlon of Pennsylvania, both of whom sit on the committee. So Elias represents half the Democrats on the committee. We'll see how this works out in coming weeks. Louisiana held two special elections on Saturday to fill vacancies in the House. In the 5th Congressional District, where the vacancy was created by the death of Representative-elect Luke Letlow, his widow, Julia, won the special election outright and will soon join the House of Representatives. In the special election in the second congressional district, necessitated by Representative Cedric Richmond's decision to vacate the seat and take a position in the Biden White House, 
Troy Carter and Karen Peterson, both Democrats, were the top two vote getters in yesterday's election. Carter took 36% of the vote. Peterson won 23%. They both advanced to a runoff election to be held on April 24th. Now to free speech in the Senate. Senate Democrats unveiled their version of the Corrupt Politicians Act and labeled it S-1. It was introduced on Wednesday by Oregon Democrat Jeff Merkley, and by Friday it had 48 co-sponsors. The only Democrat not to add his name to the list of co-sponsors is West Virginia's Joe Manchin. The bill is set for a hearing Wednesday before Minnesota Democrat A.B. Klobuchar and her Committee on Rules and Administration. And finally, to defending the filibuster, speaking to ABC News' George Stephanopoulos in an exclusive interview last Tuesday, President Biden excited the hard left when he suggested that maybe there should be reform of the filibuster to go back to what he and others have labeled a talking filibuster. Quote, I don't think you have to eliminate the filibuster. You have to do what it used to be when I first got to the Senate back in the old days, Biden said. You had to stand up and command the floor. You had to keep talking, end quote. Biden is on in years and his memory has failed him before, so I guess we shouldn't hold it against him that he declared an untruth there. The filibuster rule was actually changed in 1972 before he ever got to the Senate to eliminate the talking filibuster. And then just for good measure, two years after he got to the Senate, the filibuster rule was reformed again to lower the threshold necessary to end a filibuster from 67 votes to 60. But the news coming out of the Biden interview was not that his memory had failed him. It was that he, a creature of the old Senate, had indicated that he might support some kind of reform of the filibuster. It's important to note that he never said anything about lowering the threshold necessary to end the filibuster from 60 votes to something lower, like 51. And that's our Washington Report for this week.